0: Amen. You are stronger. Sin is broken. You've saved us. Amen. Let's go to our teaching time. If you have little ones through grade three and you would like them to be in children's church, they can be dismissed at this time through grade three. So we're shifting that down just a little bit. You can see that in the bulletin. But if you'd like to keep them with us up here, you're welcome to. You don't have to send them down. It's your choice. We love kids and we have lots of them and we're glad that they're here. So for the rest of you, if you turn in your copy of God's word as we prepare to worship the Lord through the reading and application of his word to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 6, I hope you've been in the word this week uh, as you've gone through your week day by day. That's how the Lord has designed that to be read. I encourage you, you pick up a trifold if you need something hard in your Bible to help you. If you have... Uh, one of the digital Bible reading programs, like YouVersion. just find a daily Bible reading uh, calendar. Get on that so that you can be in the Word each day, and you can have the richness of what the Lord would have you understand about the Word of God it, to, at your disposal each day. Holding up the holy standard, uh, praising Him for the things He's done, correcting those things in our life that would be uh, inappropriate for those who name the name of Christ. So we are in a continuing study through the books of second, First and Second Corinthians. We've just labeled that study God's plan for a healthy church. It has a lot of things in it, as you've been with us long enough, you know. It addresses some things that are problems in the church. It can address some things prophylactically to help uh, avoid those problems, but it is a way to have the church be healthy. The church hasn't changed a lot since uh, this first Corinthians church has been addressed and so has the same types of issues. And so very, uh, very appropriate and relevant for us today. In particular, as we've gone into Second Corinthians, in chapter six, we've been talking about the highs and lows of ministry. And, and the difference between the first letter we looked at and the second, is this: in the second, Paul, uh, taught, he really reveals his heart. He begins to teach from his experiences, things that he's been through, as opposed to addressing things that are going on in the church specifically and saying, this needs to stop, or you need to add this dynamic. This is Paul revealing his heart. And this section that we're in now dealing with hardship is the place where we'll find our instruction today. So history gives us a, a lot of examples of individuals who either volunteer, who voluntarily really endure hardship uh, in order to help others. They sacrifice things themselves, even for strangers, so that they might have an opportunity for blessing or even life. And we're gonna see this as kind of the topic Paul's gonna look at, but it's a great illustration from quite some time ago. Eam was a small hamlet in the county of Derbyshire the year 1665. It's the height of the Black Death. A plague was sweeping across large parts of Europe. Northern England is no exception. It's believed that in the summer of that year, there's a, a bale of damp cloth arrived at E.M. from London, but it wasn't just cloth that arrived from the capital. Hidden among the material were fleas and they were carrying the plague. So when a tailor hung the cloth out to dry, the fleas woke up and said about their work. The tailor was infected. And like millions of others, soon died of the plague. And over the next few weeks, 42 other villagers here in Eam uh, died. And by the end of the year, many were packing up and getting ready to leave Eam in a bid to escape the Black Death. And that's where uh, the village clergyman stepped in. William Mompesson had only been in Eam for a short amount of time. And he argued that its residents had a duty to other people. He believed the village should quarantine itself so that the plague did not spread to surrounding towns and villages, including the nearby Sheffield. So with the help of his predecessor, Mopesson pulled off the impossible and he convinced the villagers to stay put. The decision had consequences. Uh, By the summer of 1666, five or six people were dying every day. In Eam, the mortality rate became even worse than in London and in all an estimated 260 villagers out of a total of 800 perished in that space of just a few months. No family was left unaffected. And through their bravery, of course, the people of Eam succeeded in keeping the plague from spreading, saving multiple thousands of lives. It's hard to imagine that scenario, isn't it? It's hard to imagine that you would know what you would do in that scenario. And yet history is full of untold stories, just like that one. And I would say that also many, perhaps even the majority of these types of stories involve believers. And so we're gonna see uh, that, that this character trait of sacrifice or self-denial is an important one in the life of Paul, and one that commends him to the church, and, and we can make some application there as well. And as we continue to study in this chapter six of Second Corinthians, we're really tracking through Paul's encouragement in the highs and lows of ministry. That's really the overall topic how he keeps his balance in the disappointments and the highs that are part and parcel of doing the ministry of reconciliation, which he just gave them in chapter 5, and the word of reconciliation, which he gave them, and uh, the job of an ambassador. So in the process of doing ministry, how do you keep your balance when things don't always go like you hoped they would go? And that really is the first verse of chapter 6, where Paul says... uh, He says, working together with them, I pray that the grace of God will not be in vain in your life. In other words, all that's happened and everything that you've learned and all that you understand about what your job is, that you'll live up to those expectations of doing what you're supposed to do. And last time we picked up um, Paul's next focus in the highs and lows of ministry is dealing with hardship. Uh, That one was dealing with disappointing responses. Now this one, as we move into verse four, it's dealing with hardship. And it begins in verse four. Look there if you would, 2 Corinthians 6, 4. Uh, but, in everything, committing ourselves uh, as servants of God, this is where we picked up last time and he's gonna list off some of the reasons why they should recognize that he's a servant of God. That's what's gonna happen here. Why should you listen to me? Why should you heed my instruction? Why should uh, my prompting for you to do the things that you know to do, why should that be important, or why should I ha- it have some weight in your life? And he's gonna point out some of the things that he's been through and how he handled them, and those will then be, by default, the reason why they should listen. And we're gonna to get to see some principles along the way as part of Paul's intent uh, to, uh, in this instruction. He's, he's informing the church by sharing his heart, as we said, and we get informed about how to go about that and how to manage hardship in the process of him sharing how he's done it. So that's how that works in the New Testament. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So as we see the character traits that we should be following, that he's modeling, then that becomes then by default the way that we grab on to the parts of passages that the Lord would have us know. So let's read the next four verses from our passage, if you would, and, and let's look and see what the Lord would have to say to us. So verse four says, uh, this is our transition section from from dealing with disappointing responses to, to uh, dealing with hardship. But in everything, committing ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. Verse six, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love. Verse seven, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. And we saw that the general heading for the nine things there at the beginning, the nine circumstances that Paul uses to commend his ministry is uh, the, the, the main heading is in much endurance, in much endurance. So you can know this word as patient endurance. We see it many times in the New Testament that way a very common instruction for us, and it's gonna to prove to be the main ingredient for dealing with hardships, uh, when, when, what we might consider the lows, if you will, of ministry. So as Paul uses this as a general heading for everything else, we saw that it was just obviously our first principle dealing with hardship, and it was number one, patient endurance, patient endurance in, in whatever comes. That's gonna be kind of the beginning of everything we need to know about what's gonna happen next is gonna have to be dealt with with patient endurance. And from Paul's statement here, it has the primary position as he thinks over the past ministry experience and he looks forward to whatever the future is going to bring to him. But it, we saw that even though it may seem strange at first to our ears, that Paul should refer to these kinds of things listed here to commend his ministry. Because we're so used to the world commending it in so many different ways. So it's a big ministry, it's, you're very popular, you've written a lot of books, uh, you're very well known, you've built a religious empire, you, whatever. So we're used to a whole different uh, category of com- comparing how Paul, somebody would be commended. And this, I would say to you, is maybe strange to our ears, but we were able to understand that underlying the references here in this passage uh, is a recognition that there are common experiences that are true of all service of God, and they are shared. Okay? Uh, these things are not isolated events in Paul's life, but are going on worldwide today. Perhaps not here in America, but certainly in many, many other places, and so it becomes very, very relevant for the church then. And we looked at Matthew chapter t- 10, verse 16 through 28, and and I'm, you can catch up with that on the podcast on Spotify or online if you missed it. We're not going to go through it again. It's a wonderful passage that helps us understand a little bit about the beginning of the ministry of the disciples. But just to highlight it when jesus was sending out his disciples and he he warns them about the difficulty and then he says this he says hold your ground patiently wait endure 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 you know when the hardships come and when the trial comes and when people are unkind to you and when difficulties pop up in front of you endure and you'll be just like your master that's how he ends that instruction as he sends them out endure uh be faithful in this and you'll be just like your master and that puts you in very good company endurance and we ask the question, just very simply from Paul's introduction, how do you know a true servant of God? And Paul says in verse four, in everything committing ourselves as servants of God. So he's gonna answer the question, how do you know a true servant of God? As you're thinking about somebody who leads your ministries, as somebody that you sat under over the years, or some, you're perhaps a minister yourself, you know, how can you commend yourself? Soonest tanto taste, to show or make known, that's the, that's the idea. Literally, it means to stand together with. How is one commended to you? How is somebody identified then as commendable? Well, according to the passage, it's, it's not by degrees from seminary. It's not by an education. Uh, it's not primarily by having the right theology, although that is important. We don't set that aside. It's important to do that. Uh, in fact, Paul tells his son in the faith in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16, he says, pay close attention to yourself, so watch your personal habits, and your teaching, so what you're gonna give, the doctrine, that's teaching is doctrine, the word doctrine, and you're teaching, persevere in these things, for as you do this, you'll ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear. So in other words, he says to Timothy, watch your life. So no doubt, you know, things we talked about last week, faithfulness and testimony and endurance and doctrine closely. That's the word, teaching is a word for doctrine. And in fact, persevere, that's, that's a synonym for our word of endure, persevere in these things, see. And then in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 5, he says this, he says, um, and here we get to see our word uh, here in Paul's instruction to his son of the faith, he says this, but you be sober in all things, here it is, endure what? Hardships, that's the word we looked at last time, right? And in case, uh, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, see? So this word hardship, that's a hardship, the idea, and in case, is a hardship that doesn't have an exit, okay? So this is an ongoing Hardship. The idea then that Timothy is gonna be commended along with some other commands Paul gives him is to what? Endure hardship and he'll be commended. Watch your life, watch your teaching closely and in your life of course, Those things need to be true that we understand about those who minister. And one of those things is endurance, endure hardship. So again, how's one committed to you? How's someone who is approved receive approval? If you're a minister, how will you be commended to your uh, group that you minister to? Well, it's not gonna be by giftedness or what the world may deem as a success. Uh, Commendation isn't found by building a religious empire around you or by fame and certainly not by material prosperity. What we saw from Paul is that faithful servants of God are commended by their ability to endure and they are presented as suitable for approval or acceptance by patiently sticking it out. It's very, very simple, basic stuff here. Now, We looked at a number of situations listed here where the overriding character trait is of the minister's endurance and we just look at them very quickly and then move on to our new section and there seem to be really three sets of three i think you can see that as we went through um, the first set afflictions hardships distresses um, and and and, uh, these are words the general terms the very familiar words to you Uh, the second represents a particular examples of these experiences so beatings uh, imprisonments and tumults. so those are examples in in paul's life and around the world so it's part of what goes on as a christian around the world and then the last one labor sleeplessness and hunger and those are voluntary things this is what paul submits himself to and does uh, for the benefit of others so three groups of three he starts with general things he says uh afflictions that's the noun thlipsicin. that's the greek word that means pressing pressure one that we uh, of a word we're very familiar with because paul uses it often but here it refers to the ministry that exerts the pressure. It has to do with, the word has to do with squeezing grapes, squeezing olives, getting, extracting the juice that's inside. But here it's physical, emotional, spiritual pressure. And Paul is commended to them because he has endured uh, pressure, pressure in the ministry. And, and God then, we would say, and we understand this to be true, God has the same requirement from you. He expects you, if you're going to be committed to endure under pressure. And then the next general term, we're going very quickly here. You can catch up on all the background if you want uh, online. So, the next general term is in hardships. The one we just saw just a minute ago with Timothy and in case uh, general state of distress or trouble. It's trouble from which you can't get out of. It's something that makes it hard to live. Uh, for Paul, it probably was the first century missionary environment and everything he had to endure in order to make that happen. Uh, and we're gonna see that kind of listed off for us as we get to chapter 11, chapter 12 of this, uh, this, uh, of this letter. But it's difficulties from which there is no relief. And Paul is commended to them, he says, because he's endured those things. And then we say in application, God has the same requirements for you. He expects you to endure hardship. And then Paul moves on to the next general term, that's distresses. Uh, that's, that's uh, literally here it's a compound word, narrowness of place Stenos' narrow core is a place it's a place where you can't turn around so it could be a rut, it could be in your ministry uh, things are frustrating because nothing really seems to change because people won't change uh, places where it doesn't seem like there's any change possible, it doesn't look like you hoped it would look when you started it didn't come out like you thought it was going to come out whatever, it could it could be that kind of thing Paul is committed, he understands this very well why? Because the church he's ministering to right now in a letter was that very kind of church. Very worldly, very critical. He had to deal with it constantly. Even when he made some connection with them, he'd be right back again, having to make sure he's shadowing some of the things he's saying with he's still dealing with the questions that were writing in the background. And so Paul is committed to them because he has endured these things and we can say that God has the same requirement for you. He expects you to endure distresses. And then we saw the next one and this is three the first of three specific things. So the first one is beatings Uh, It is the noun plagaes. It refers to the mark actually that comes from a strike. So it isn't actually the whip, but it's the mark of the whip. It's the mark of fists. It's the mark of a rod. Or read it's what you look like when you come out of the other end of a beating and that's the idea there and paul is commended to them because he's endured this over and over and again we can say god has the same requirement for you he expects you to endure bearing the marks of the ministry and we may say well that you know isn't really the reality here in the united states well and as i said to you last time uh, it is the reality in china it probably happened many many thousands of times over yesterday And it's happening in the Middle East and it's happening all over the place. So we can't say, again, that we're just talking about isolated incidents with just the Apostle Paul and this can't possibly apply to the church because, you know, it's prosperity gospel, right? Because God wants only the good things for you. Well, I think that that really flies in the face of all that false theology of prosperity gospel because this actually paints a pretty good description of what it's gonna look like perhaps along the road of being a minister for the gospel until you see Jesus, who's keeping track, by the way, of all the, uh, of all the problems and everything that happened and all the world did to all the people who loved him and he will deal judgment in, in the appropriate time. But the fact of the matter is this can't be just isolated. Then the next part of verse five says in imprisonments, imprisonment so that's wrongfully jailed and held captive for being a believer it's happening all over the world Paul commends is commended to this church because he has been held captive and we saw last time uh, from which he wrote four of his uh, letters to from which we have gained so much uh, Paul says the same thing perhaps will be required of you if need be you may have to endure imprisonments and then we saw this one again specific incidents that Paul endured uh, from believers around the world uh, are subject to this nearly every day that's in Talmud's A katastasia, that's a compound noun. It means a time of instability, uh, a time of disorder, not knowing uh, what is gonna happen, an upheaval of any kind in your life. This is Paul's life after after his transformation it was always something new he didn't know what was going to go on it can apply to a mob it can afl- apply to civil disorder that always marked paul's preaching because he wasn't one of those guys that wanted to make friends and influence people he was more concerned about the gospel getting out and so he would start out with things that would be uh, put people in a position where they would either have to say yeah that describes me or i'm going to kill you and usually it was the second one i'm going to kill you i don't want to hear this and so Paul dealt with this a lot, a state of flux constantly, uh, mob violence, that kind of thing, not knowing what's gonna happen. Paul had to be encouraged, as I said last time. You know, was Paul ever scared? Yes actually he was scared and the lord had to speak to him numerous times in visions and say don't worry i have many people in this city and you're going to be protected do the work that i've given you to do and in you know then other times he's very strong and saying you know i had the sentence of death on me all the time and what did i care because the lord can raise the dead so if he wasn't done with me and you killed me he would just raise me back up and i would be back at it so he went back one side to the other much like we do, right? Sometimes we're very strong on some days and other days not so much and we need the Lord's encouragement, but that's really human nature, isn't it? That we're kind of back and forth and we, we want to hang on to the flesh and other times we're okay with giving up the flesh and, we just, and that's how it works. And Paul says, listen, I've had to do this. The Lord has, has commended me to this church because I've endured this over and over and that means, beloved, and you know what this means, that the same requirement is from you. He expects you to endure uncertainty. He expects you to endure uncertainty. And, and as, as we've worked our way through this first part, that's experiences and hardship, because we're gonna see the second part of this whole section we looked at, uh, picking up in verse six, as responses in hardship. But the experiences in hardship Those first three were really general hardship things that are experienced by believers everywhere, afflictions, hardships, distresses. Second three were specific hardships faced by Paul and believers around the world through the ages to a greater or lesser degree, and that's in beatings, imprisonments, and tumults. And now these last three in verse five, in labors, in sleeplessness, and in hunger, appear to be hardships that are voluntary in nature. Now, and that's gonna take us down through the end of verse five and through the end of the experiences in hardship. And again, I think it's pretty shocking to see how much this passage flies in the face of the prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all, but just false teaching. Here, not only are we not making demands on God and naming it and claiming it, but God actually is making demands on us and giving us and having some requirements that we're to do, okay? I really like that. This is not certainly the poster verse for uh, that movement. Serious requirements. Paul, again, is gonna show by example that if we wanna be commended as a minister of reconciliation, there are some things that, happen to us or some things that will we, need, we will need to sacrifice which takes us from our first illustration as we started that's happening all around the world it's happened all since the beginning of Christianity it's, it's not recorded except that the Lord remembers it Sacrifice and hardship that's endured, putting yourself last, making sure other people are, are, are exalted and are encouraged or, or ministered to because you've sacrificed. And that's what Paul's gonna talk about. So these are voluntary in nature. And so I wanted to spend a little bit more time with these because they are so relevant, even though the rest of them are. These are very relevant right now. And so I wanna take some time with these. And of course, again, Paul is going to show us by example that if we want to be committed as a minister of reconciliation with the word of reconciliation and as an ambassador, there's going to be some things then that we're going to have to approach with endurance. And these are part of them. And he says, in labors, in sleeplessness, and in hunger. Now, remember, again, understand these three. Uh, understanding of these three really is predicated on uh, you understanding that the modifier we saw at the beginning still applies. So in much endurance, then in labors in much endurance and sleeplessness and in much endurance in hunger. So he's commended to the church because he's patiently stuck it out, if you will. So let's look at the first one. And the first one is in labors. And that is the Greek noun, kupos. It's when you read labors, you should think about laboring until weariness. OK, not just, you know, I worked I worked hard for a few minutes. And got some stuff done. The idea with labors here in this word is to labor until you're weary. That's the word for labors. There's another word for uh, accomplishing a job. This is not it, okay? So laboring, that's toil, if you will. Um, So this wasn't pushed on him. This is a choice, okay? Uh, This is how he responded to the opportunities of the ministry with labors that were wearisome, it's the toil that takes everything you have and you're worn out when you get to the end. So that's the idea about how Paul worked. So he endured it. There, and there are a number of passages that can give us the sense of it. And I think it's important that we pause right here for a moment, as I said, because this is so very relevant to the modern church. If you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse eight, um, Paul says this, he says, now he who plants and he who waters are one. Why? Because God's the one who gives the increase. So whether you're giving out the seed uh, in the work of ministry of reconciliation or whether you're the one coming along behind and you're doing some teaching and you're watering that seed so that someday it will grow, the fact that it grows is God's work, right? It's like we talked about that parable of the man sows his seed and he goes to bed and it rises and it comes up and he doesn't know how. That's the idea, okay? So here it is. He says, now one who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to what? according to his own labor. Okay, again, we're not looking at the success of the ministry through the world's eyes, are we? We're looking at the success of the ministry through the Lord's eyes and the things that he says are important to be about. And that is, as we went through over the summer, reminded you that you have a job to do and that is the job of the ministry of reconciliation. That's the gospel, you're required to take it just like I am on a daily basis and make sure that it goes out, okay? so each man is, is rewarded according to his own labor. So as we've seen numerous times in the past, there is a connection between reward and the kind of labor that we do. That shouldn't surprise us, okay? It's just like that in the real world, isn't it? There is a reward connected with the type of labor we do and the reward that comes from it, okay? If we're lazy at the work and we, we just kind of dodge the man all the time and we don't work hard until somebody's eyes are on us or whatever, we do the bare minimum, there's going to be less reward than someone who makes their employer look good and is doing a really great job in adorning the gospel with hard work. That's what the Lord commends. And so just like with labor, he says there's a reward connected uh, to his own labor, and the Lord knows this. Now, one of the great passages of this, of this uh, idea is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, and it gives us a list of what it looks like to be redeemed. And in That list, then, as we understand, this is what redemption looks like. Because when we get to chapter 12 of Romans, we begin to see uh, what the position of being redeemed is going to accomplish in a day-to-day life, okay? That's what Romans is so practical for us. But when you get to chapter 12, verse 11, this is what it looks like to be redeemed. It's pretty clear that these things affect the church because Paul begins to talk about them. And he says this. He says, verse 11, he says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the lord those three things not and 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 those three things should describe ministry and that really does very well with what we just looked at right paul says in much labor labor unto weariness so these three things should describe ministry that you do and that i do and the first one is not lagging behind in diligence literally the haste is not idle that's how it's expressed in greek the haste is not idle okay so it has to do with general work in the ministry being about the master's business And and the essence of the verse is, what needs to be done needs to be done now, okay? What needs to be done needs to be done now. There there should be a haste and intensity and urgency in the ministry of reconciliation. It's the idea, as we've said before, of owning the ministry, taking responsibility for it. So put yourself then in your position of ministry, whatever that is, wherever you're doing it, okay? Um, Understand that you're owning that ministry, taking responsibility for it, tying yourself to it, if you will. And I'm not really sure believers understand that so much anymore and and connected it to the ministry of reconciliation because people bring, beloved, people bring a lot of bad workplace habits into ministry. A lot of bad workplace habits. The no call, no show responses. Just doing ministry whenever you feel like it and not doing it when you don't feel like it, okay? That's a really bad workplace habit. gets brought into the ministry and it flies right into the face of paul says in much labors and it certainly flies into the face of what ministry is supposed to look like in the church not lagging behind in in uh diligence see because when you're just doing ministry whenever you feel like it you're not doing it when you don't feel like it but you know that that little ministry or that big ministry group will be there when you don't show did you know that they'll be waiting for you when you don't show Remember uh, you're supposed to be working together with him. Remember chapter 6 verse 1. So is that how he wants to work like you are? See? Is is he bringing the whole no call no show into into the mix when you just don't show cuz you don't feel like it? And I think you know the answer to that, right? But when you're intense about your, about your labor, when you aren't lagging behind in diligence and you work hard, you create a responsibility and a demand on your time, see? And, and that will push you to be zealous and diligent to prepare for it. See, that's what it's supposed to look like, see? Now, just quickly to finish up this illustration because I don't want to get too bogged down here, but uh, I want to illustrate this because it's so important This in labors. See, this is all voluntary, beloved. So here's the second one, fervent in spirit. So not lagging behind in diligence. This is what ministry looks like in the church according to Romans chapter 12, verse 11. He just, gets through, he just gets through talking about spiritual gifts and how the Lord has gifted people according to their measure of faith as he sees fit and puts them in the church. And then he says, okay, now that you're there and you're gifted and you know you can do this, then here's what ministry looks like. It's, it's not lagging behind in diligence. And then the second one, fervent in spirit. And this verb has to do with enthusiasm. It is the word for, it's actually the word for boil. And the idea is to boil over. So, because you can be diligent and have a rotten attitude about it, okay? I mean, you can show up every single time and just be doing it with a crummy attitude. So, this deals with the attitude. But when you labor diligently with much endurance and you're fervent about it, that's really refreshing, isn't it? And things get accomplished when believers labor like that, see? So not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, and then this last one, serving the Lord, literally to be the Lord's slave. And you are, and you know this already because we've been through these passages, you are in a bond slave relationship with the Lord. Did you know that? You're in a bond slave relationship. That's a willing slave of the master. It's based on an Old Testament principle where someone who served as a slave to work off debt and then was released because the debt has been satisfied says I don't want to be released I want to be your servant forever and so what they would do is they would take an awl and you go to the wood post of the door that you drive a hole through their ear it's the first of the gauges okay so don't think you're all original with the whole gauge thing all right the first gauge was big back then you know you take an awl you punch it through the ear and that's the mark that you said I don't ever want to be gone from you I want to serve you well that relationship the bond slave relationship that's describes our relationship to Christ okay a willing submission I never want to leave See, a response to the overwhelming love of Christ for us in the substitutionary atonement. We looked at that just a few months ago, right? And that's our our response, see? And so you're in this bond-slave relationship, and you know, people can be very busy and very excited about what they consider good work, okay? But really not that excited to do whatever God wills for them to do. You get it? So they're, they're good on piling on to like something that seems fun, but on the day-to-day grind and making sure you show up, make sure this is happening and you know when nobody's here, this is take, and taken care of and whatever. Less, less, in, less enthusiastic about that, see? But that all goes out the window if you really understand how ministry is supposed to look. And here in our passage, we know it is to carry out the ministry of reconciliation with the word of reconciliation as an ambassador of God, begging people on behalf of Christ or for Jesus' sake to what? To be reconciled to god see your primary job is that and that's that's not that glorious and and it, it leads to a lot of other things that happen perhaps and particularly if you're in another culture it could lead to a lot of what we would consider bad things but it could lead to ridicule here it could lead to kind of minimizing and putting off in a corner whatever it might be but the fact of the matter is yeah, you are the lord's bondslave, and he has given you a job to do and said by the way i'll work along with you so that's the kind of labor that Paul's referring to here. When we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 5, you're an ambassador, and the way that will come across is directly connected to your level, level of labor and your dedication. Okay? Grab that. You are an ambassador, and the way that's going to come off in front of people is directly connected to your level of labor and your dedication to it, see? Serving his cause, serving his purpose, his kingdom, his people, reaching the lost, discipling, teaching, serving, whatever that looks like along the course of your ministry, you're doing that, doing things his way. See, I put my, as Romans chapter four, verse one, and two, I put my life on the altar and now my purpose is what? To be useful to God because I don't own myself anymore, See? And and I don't. Com- I'm not commended to the church by trying to satisfy my own ego. And I'm not committed to the church by doing things when I feel like it. And I'm not committed to the church by trying to enhance my own reputation. And I'm not committed to the church when I'm lazy. Okay, that that's what it looks like. See, that, that's what it's got to look like because it's got to look like what the scriptures say. It's not my. It's not me kind of going through and saying I want to pick. I want to preach on this today. I would prefer not to teach on this section. You know this, right? I, I come to parts in the scripture where I just prefer not to teach them. There's a number of reasons. Sometimes they're really hard. And getting the, I barely grasped the understanding myself and trying to make sure that you understand it is difficult. And sometimes it's parts that you just, it's embarrassing for me to do it. And I don't want to do it. And other times it's super convicting for me. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm still struggling with the whole conviction thing myself. And now I'm coming to you and I'm like saying, okay, be convicted. And when I'm like, oh man, I'm not doing it see but this is one of those ones where you just prefer just to skip over it because it just puts everybody on the spot and i'm not trying to do that and you might not fall into any of these categories and your ministry may look just like this see it may look not lagging behind a diligence fervent in spirit and you're a bondslave of the lord it may already look like that in much labors may already describe your ministry and for that i'm very grateful but the fact of the matter is we come to this because this is super relevant for the modern church okay when you just have those statistics you know 80% of the people do 20% of the work and 20% of the people do 80% of the work and that's how it is with giving too 80% of the people do 20% of the giving 20% of the people do 80% of the giving okay and, and that shouldn't be see and if we understand this these passages that gets flipped around so Paul says and it's, a, it's another great one that can help us you know you you labor hard until you're worn out doing what God's asked you to do and that's what it means to be a slave, whatever it takes, see? And in First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, listen, listen to this. And it's easy to kind of skip over this wording. You just kind of read through it and you've probably read it hundreds of times. But Paul says to the church here, he says, for you recall, brethren, so he's talking to Christians, okay? You recall this, beloved. As, are, and here's the word we've been looking at over and over again, Labor. Okay, our labor and mark this, hardship. Our labor and hardship. So translation note. It was hard to do the labor of ministry. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because if you're doing it at the level the Lord wants you to do, it is hard. Okay? It it was hard to do the and we're gonna see this over and over again. We see labor and hardship connected a lot. That just hardship is the word for something that's not gonna change. It's difficulty that doesn't have an exit. It's just it's just the, uh, the environment of doing the ministry, wherever it is. It's hard, and it's not going to ever be any different than that until we see the Lord. So Paul says, for you recall, so obviously the example is there, brethren, our labor and hardship, and how working, so that's the difficulties from which there are no relief, how working night and day, so he was busy about the ministry of reconciliation, and that took some serious effort. So he's working night and day, in order to be able to be available. So he says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and our hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So, sometimes Paul had to work with his hands to provide a living for himself and everybody who traveled along with him. And we see that often. and. Then be about the ministry. So he's making sure they have food on the table and a roof over their head, and then he's also making sure the ministry is accomplished. And sometimes it just refers to the preaching of the gospel. He just works night and day and much labor uh, to to give the gospel, and it t- just talks about the preaching. Uh, but he toiled and he labored to the point of exhaustion by choice. That's the that's the idea. See, same thing in his second letter to them, Second Thessalonians chapter three verse eight. He says this. He says, he says, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, and. Uh, but with labor and hardship, there's the same set, right? It was hard to do the ministry. Uh, by labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. So Paul is committed to them because he has endured working hard in every ministry he was involved with, in every church, and he did so what? Voluntarily, okay? And just obviously, beloved, just obviously, then we gotta make that connection to us, okay? He's committed to the church because he has labored very hard, uh, to exhaustion in the ministry he did, wherever it was, and just obviously God has the same requirement for you. And if you're keeping track of them on your bulletin number seven, he expects you to make the decision to labor hard and to follow through. Not just to do it when you feel like it, not just to do it uh, when you're not tired or whatever, it's to do it and to do it well and with fervency and, and with excitement and to do it so with hard work. See? And then let's look at the next one. So he, the next one is um, in sleeplessness. It's translated more often as watchfulness. We see it a lot of times as watchfulness. I, I think it, it means the same thing, but I think the sense of it is this. It's the idea then perhaps of being awake because you can't go to sleep, okay? So there could be a number of reasons that play into that. Uh, that could be from anxiety or because uh, of external circumstances. It could be the pressures that we talked about before of the ministry that fall on you. It could be that you are awake because you're so tired from ministering night and day, perhaps you have to work into the night to make sure that it happens. So it's, uh, wakefulness and maybe it's working out a plan for ministry maybe it's dealing with unkind people and you have to work through the forgiveness and replace the hurt with love in the middle of the night because you just you want to say one thing and you know you can't say that and you shouldn't and the lord doesn't want you to but you have to ask you have to ask forgiveness for a bad attitude you have towards un, uh, unkind things said by someone else and you're working through that but whatever it is it's robbing you of your shut eye so this is most likely by choice that's why paul includes it in this set of three things that he can choose. It could also be that he had to work to provide for his physical needs, just like we saw, we worked night and day so that we wouldn't take anybody's food without paying for it, food, clothes, shelter, uh, in order to accomplish the ministry's needs during the day or vice versa. So he's working at night, maybe as a tanner so by day he can be in the synagogue or preaching somewhere. So just hard labor for Paul. And, and so uh, he's, he's short on sleep, but because he has labor and hardship, but he still does what he's supposed to do. I'm reminded of this parable Jesus told. Do you remember this one in Luke chapter 11, verse five? He says this. He says, then he said to them, um, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come in from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from, from the inside, he answers and says, and you can say in a sleepy voice, do not bother me. The door has already been shut my children and i are in bed i can't get up and give you anything now here's the question what was this guy in the house most concerned about his sleep right he was most concerned about staying in bed and not getting up he wasn't interested in the extra labor he didn't want to go and scrounge around in the pantry and find something for his buddy now if you go on and read the whole thing right he doesn't get up until his friend knocks on the door long enough and loud enough and finds like, oh, great, and throws the covers off. You can kind of see this in your mind. And goes and finds whatever he needs and gives it to him. Okay? Now, the illustration, of course, is to talk about how you go to prayer before the Lord and how if you go to your friend, he might be reluctant. He doesn't want to get out of bed and help you, but the Lord is never like that. And you can ask him for what you need, and he's always ready and available. But the idea there here at the beginning is this. You know, uh, this is what happens... Uh, when you don't look very good, okay? This guy doesn't come, he doesn't come into very good company, does he? He just wants to hang on to his sleep. And he doesn't come out looking very good here. And yet, this is what happens in the ministry of the local church. See, people don't show up because they're tired, right? So here's what I want to tell you. When you don't show up because you're tired, guess what you're doing? You're throwing it on somebody else, see? But you know, again, the people that you minister to, they're still going to be there on that ministry day and they're going to be waiting for you to do the things that you do in labor and and in hardship and they're going to wait for you to be fervent about it and all that, see? So here's the question. How important is it, this ministry that you do? And here's another one. How important to them is it? So how fervent are you? See, the correct response, the correct response is really a matter of maturity, isn't it? It's really, otherwise Paul wouldn't list it. But it's a significant intrusion into your life, isn't it? And, and if you're working uh, outside of vocational ministry and then take on a big portion of ministry, it's gonna rob your sleep. And so Paul and Paul can relate to that, can't he? Because he worked a full time job and to provide for the house and for the food and and shelter for those who were with him and for himself, and then uh, also discharged the work of the ministry. He understands that, see. Uh, You know, when you sacrifice in this way though, that puts you in super good company. Do you get that? Because when we see Paul, he calls on this issue to commend himself to them because he loses sleep, see over them and he does it voluntarily so it goes without saying that he's doing it with a right hard attitude like we saw in Romans chapter 12 right he's coming and he's fervent about it so he's not going to do it and just have a bad attitude right he's not going to work really hard and then have a crummy attitude about it because he'd be in sin so Paul obviously is conforming to the way it's supposed to be done so if that's the case then and we're to follow Paul as he follows Christ then uh, it's also true that God has the same requirement for you so number eight he expects that you'll lose some sleep during the course of your ministry it's real basic stuff right doesn't seem basic though when you think about church ministry and how it gets just left left alone because somebody got in late or somebody did whatever. Okay, listen, you're going to do that voluntarily, and from the other side, from the other side, you won't let a lack of sleep then deter you from doing your ministry because this is part of the voluntary response to endurance. See endurance. Let's look at the next one. Paul says in hunger, nestestes. That's the verb to abstain to abstain so some translations you might have it in yours in fastings I think that's the right grasp of it probably be closer to the correct understanding as we think about it I mean sure he abstains has to abstain from many things but here as it's related to hunger in fastings would be good it certainly would and primarily refers to the times when Paul denied himself that's the idea and and, and fasting denying the physical to focus in prayer on the spiritual is really a, a lost discipline in the modern church in other words, as a footnote, to establish between you and the Lord a set time period where you will abstain from food and drink either entirely if the fast lasted a day or from what you would normally eat and drink if it's a continued fast over a number of days. So you are making, you're stating to the Lord you desire to abstain from certain things if you're gonna go more than a day. You'll just have certain number of things and that's all you're gonna have, see. But that you do that in order to focus on a spiritual issue in your life. And maybe it's a decision you need to make and you really need to know the Lord's will. Maybe it's a sin issue you're struggling with and you want to know the Lord to know that you're serious and you really want to grapple with the root of the problem and you want to get rid of it. So it's denying yourself, it's fasting, it's abstaining, uh, perhaps for a single day of everything or multiple days of just all but a few things. It could be a ministry effort you want to pray about and you need the Lord's clarity, and so you're going to do that, you're going to abstain. Uh, now, if Paul... Was in the middle of doing it, so he's talking about abstaining. So obviously, he's not in the middle of doing it because he's not going to make it known, right? In Matthew chapter six, verse sixteen, Jesus says, "You don't make it known." So as you think about the whole abstaining thing, and you think about fasting, the lost, this lost uh, spiritual uh, effort that's gone from the church mostly, um, he would he would have followed Jesus' teaching in Matthew six sixteen, and Jesus says, "Whenever you fast." Don't put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. So don't let everybody know because you're just kind of moping around. I'm fasting and I've got really low blood sugar, so don't get in front of me because I'll bite your head off or whatever, okay? Um, I didn't wash my hair this morning because I'm fasting or whatever. You you don't want people to know you're spiritual because that's going to be your reward. They'll think you're spiritual, and that's it. No connection with the Lord, no help with the spiritual issue, no no help with the decision-making and all that. So whenever you fast, don't put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. So Paul's not going to do this. Truly I say to you, Jesus says, they have their reward in full. Everybody thinks they're spiritual. That's their reward. There's no benefit from fasting. no benefit from abstaining. The, the, The focus of the abstaining was so people think you're spiritual. You got it. But if the focus of the abstaining is so that you can connect with the Lord on a spiritual issue, you can have a decision that you can help be helped make, or whatever it is. But when you fast, that's the last part, verse 17, last part, verse 17. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men. In other words, get up, do your thing, all right? Make yourself look just like you normally look. Nobody should know what's going on between you and the Lord, okay? When you do that, see, you're not noticed by men. Who are you being noticed by? What's it say? By the Lord, that's right. So the Lord notices that, see, and your father, it's no, by but by your father who's in secret, or your father who sees what's done in secret, will what? Reward you. So whatever it is that you desire to connect with the Lord about, whatever it is that you need some help with, and you're doing this whole stating thing, as Paul's talking about, it's part parcel of the ministry, enduring in abstaining. So when you're doing this, this is how it's gonna look, and that's how it still looks today, see. And this is what Paul would have done, but he is commending himself and he tells them that he has endured much hunger and it appears that it's likely meaning in those times when Paul denied himself and it could be for spiritual growth or direction in ministry. It could also refer to when he was denied regular meals because of the pressures of work and travel. So in other words, he's on the road, he doesn't have the money, he doesn't make, perhaps he, there's no place to stop. He, he's just denied because the pressure of the ministry is on him and he's, he's doing it. It's possible Paul could have gone without food because he couldn't afford it, because he, he uh, refused to be a burden on someone else like we saw, we didn't take anybody's bread without paying for it, see? Now, j- just in case you think, you know, that's how it was supposed to be, I'd like you to turn turn to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 9, verse four. Will you do that? Just hold your finger here, just do it b- very briefly. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse four. So just go back, you know, maybe 10 pages or so, you'll be there um, in your Bible or on your digital uh, device, whatever you're using. So uh, it's a great cross-reference to this, okay? So Paul's saying, you know, I didn't take anybody's bread without paying for it. I worked night and day to make sure that all of our expenses were covered. You know, I took care of the people that were with me, and i in much labor, much hardship, all that. But as he, remember, in, the, in this first letter we studied, Paul's very direct about the church, about what they're doing wrong. Well, here's where he's going to take him to task about this. So here's what he says. He says, um, he asks them rhetorical questions, and they're all, most of them are yes. So he says this, do we not have the right to eat and drink? What's the answer to that? Yeah, I mean, you need to eat and drink to live, right? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? What's the answer to that? Yes, right? And then he says, even as the rest of the apostles and brothers of the Lord and Cephas, so he just names the people who take along their wife when they go on the ministry. um, Verse six, or do not only Barnabas and I not have the right to refrain from working? So in other words, what's he doing? Working night and day, provide for a roof over his head, food to eat, clothes to wear, and then going and doing the ministry. He's providing the entire thing, Okay. He says, don't we have the right to refrain from working like, what's the reference, the other apostles are doing? They're, they're coming, they're being supported, and they're doing the work of the ministry. So verse 7, who, he says, and then he uses some illustrations, who at any time serves as a soldier as, own, as his own expense? Now Daniel would probably say a lot of times because the army's really slow about paying, right? But in general, you're going to get your pay uh, sooner or later. So who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and doesn't use the milk of the flock? Am I not speaking... Uh, Verse eight, I'm not, I'm not speaking those things according to human judgment, am I? Or, or does not the law also say these things? Right, so it's not just me saying this is the right thing to do, but isn't it also in the word of God? Verse nine, for it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. God's not concerned about oxen, is he? Is that the primary concern there? No. What was the primary concern? Not being selfish and greedy and saying, I'm not gonna let the oxen eat even a bite of the grain that I'm grinding because I wanna make all the money of selling it, see? That's the, that was the idea there. So don't muzzle the ox, he deserves to have a bite, but he wasn't mostly concerned about that. He was mostly concerned about the attitude of the person who was threshing, see? Now, it says, God's not concerned about oxen, is he, verse 10, or is he speaking altogether for our sake? And then Paul says, he clarifies it, yes for our sake it was written because the plowman ought to share in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing his cro- the crops if we sowed spiritual things in you is it too much if we reap material things from you verse 12 if others share the right uh, over you do not we do not do we not more nevertheless nevertheless so we had the right Right? Paul says, we had the right to be supported by you. When we did the work among you, we, we had the right for you to take care of us. He says, nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things. Here's that's our word again. We endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. And that's a, it's a pretty shame thing there in, in Corinth where he has to do all of this in order not to, in order not to cause somebody to stumble. That's a pretty immature church. The level of maturity is way down here, isn't it? It hasn't come up at all. The stumbling block is so low that if they help Paul at all in his ministry to them, that's a stumbling block for people. See? Do you. Not know verse 13 look there if you would that those who perform sacred services eat the food from the temple now going back to the Old Testament those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar we understand that verse 14 so also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel verse 15 but I have used none of these things Paul says and I'm not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case so I'm not laying a big guilt trip on you okay I'm just telling you this because this is how it normally is for I would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one." So here's what Paul says, you know, whatever the circumstance, you know, he didn't have to go without food, right? He, it's just that he put himself in circumstances and conditions where it wasn't readily available, but for the sake of the ministry, he was willing to do that, see? or he knew that he needed the Lord's guidance and so he denied himself temporarily, the physical stuff, so he could have access to the spiritual or he denied himself here in Corinth so it wouldn't cause somebody to stumble over the fact that they gave him something to eat, see? And, And Paul calls on this issue then to commend himself to them because he goes without over them and he does it voluntarily So it goes without saying that he's doing it with a right heart attitude. Again, like we saw in Romans 12, he's not just doing the work with a crummy heart attitude. He's doing it willingly. I'm not telling you this, he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 4, so that it'll be done in my case. See? And so if that's the case for Paul, again, and the ministry he has, then it's also true that God has the same requirement from you and me. And that's number nine. He expects that you will miss some meals during the course of your ministry, that you'll spend some time fasting, that you'll be perhaps too busy to eat. And again, that's just really basic stuff, isn't it? But again, we, we bring a lot of really bad workplace habits and we deposit them here in the church and we work off that premise. And this throws all of that on its ear. And the whole point of this is he is commended Himself by his endurance through all this labor and all the sleeplessness and all the fasting and, and the afflictions and then the hardships and the pressures and the bearing of the marks and, and the imprisonments and the instability of not knowing what's next and he's his patient stick with itness was the measure of his commendation and it's the measure of yours and it isn't paul's popularity in the world and frankly it wasn't even his popularity in the church. Otherwise, he wouldn't have to commend himself, would he? So he has to go back and just make sure that they're going to value what he has to say by committing himself to them by the things that are real, the things that are true. These are the things that the Lord esteems. At this point in his life, you know, the Jews wanted to kill Paul. You know, Romans wanted to kill him and eventually did kill him. The church wants to get rid of him, so there's Paul. So he has to commend himself, and he gives the things that commend him to the church. But here's a man who proved his character by his endurance. He was a man who could say in Acts chapter 20, verse 22, and beloved, over the next couple minutes, in your notes, you're gonna find some introspection. I'd like you to just kinda think through it. Don't let anybody see what you're writing. I just want you to kinda think through that, okay? Because when you think through all of that, and you're answering honestly, Uh, I think that you begin to make the change in the right direction if change needs to be made. And I'm not saying being the Holy Spirit and saying that that has to happen. But over the next couple of minutes, this is kind of our, because we're closing this section out, we're gonna go to the responses of hardship uh, next time. But in Acts chapter 20, verse 22, this this is Paul, here's what he could say. And now behold, bound in the spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. There it is, right? Uncertainty, that's precisely what we just got through talking about. He endured uncertainty, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the holy spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city saying that bonds and afflictions await me verse 24 but i do not consider my life as of any account as dear to myself so that i may finish my course and the ministry which i receive from the lord to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of god so i'm going to have a squeeze put on me i'm going to be in jail but i'm okay with that because that's what bonds and afflictions mean I'm going to be in jail, and I'm going to have the squeeze put on me. That's the word affliction. I'm going to be put in jail, and I'm okay with that. My life isn't dearer to me than my ministry. Here's the question for you. Can you put anything in that sentence that's dearer to you than the ministry that God has given you? Here's a man who could say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Then this verse, verse 14, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, Paul says, I've known suffering. See, so I've suffered the loss of all things. He says, I understand what that looks like. I've had my things taken away. I'm okay with that because I have Christ. And losing those things hasn't hindered me from growing in Christ. So here's the question for you. Is there a price you may have to pay that would be too great to gain Christ and grow in him? Here's a man who could say in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and of going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says, I know what it is to have nothing. I know what it means to miss a meal and to miss sleep. I'm okay with all of that because I know the secret to every circumstance in which I find myself. Here's your questions, beloved. Do you know the secret to living victoriously in whatever circumstance the Lord deems appropriate for you? And this one, can you confidently say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me and the opposite statement, without him I can do nothing? Here is a man who could say in Romans eight eighteen, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then Romans eight twenty four, for in hope we have been saved, but the hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he already sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. That's a very confident statement that puts Paul's life into perspective, doesn't it? What's happening right now in all the things we just got, all those nine things that we just got through talking about, Okay, he endured all the suffering and hardship and, and all of that stuff. Okay, What's happening right now isn't worthy to mention, Paul says, when I think about the glory of God's plan to be revealed in what is now a battleground of emotion and conflict. See, There's a whole battleground of emotion and conflict going on right now, but what's going on right now, Paul says, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed in us, see? So here's the question. In difficult times, are you able to say that? Are you able to say that the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us, see? And when you're in the middle of those nine things, does it make you long for what's to come with a greater eagerness than it did before you got in them? Here's a man who could say in 2 Corinthians 4:17 for momentary light affliction boy that does not seem to describe what we just got through looking at with Paul but again that just tells us where his heart attitude is right for for momentary light affliction is producing for us eternal glory far beyond all comparison while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So catch this, Paul considers the difficult times, and you know much of them because we have cross-referenced what we haven't already read in the two letters. Paul considered his difficult times from which there was no escape, that's what that means, difficult times means uh, uh, a circumstance in your life from which there isn't any escape. This is the hardship that's going to be with you all the whole way through. He considers that light. Glory is coming as a reward for difficulty, and he's able to focus his gaze on those eternal things in the middle of hardship. So here's the question. How can you apply this principle in your life right now so you can say that with Paul? this momentary light affliction is producing for me an eternal weight of glory because that's the reality for you. When you manage these things in the way the Lord has desired for you to in patient endurance and you're, you're made perfected and you come out shining and you have the ability to comfort other people. Beloved, when you go through it that way, it, it doesn't even compare to the eternal weight of the glory far beyond all, all comparison. And we don't look at the things which are seen but at things which are not seen For the things which are seen are Temporary but the things which are not seen are eternal. How can you apply this principle in your life right now so that you can say that with Paul? And here's the last one, okay? Here's a man who comes to the end of his life with from the world's perspective, nothing but a prison cell to show for it and he's about to lay his head on a block and have it chopped off and he can say this, I have fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul says I've kept the main thing the main thing. And when I see the master he will have kept track of all of it. Here's the question. In your life right now How can you show you love the Lord's appearing? Because it's not just Paul that gets that reward. It's everybody who lives their life in such a way that it shows that they love the Lord's appearing. What's that gotta look like in your life? Is it the habits you currently have in place? Or is there some things that need to be changed by the Lord's grace and through the power of his Holy Spirit? Let's see. And so as we close in what? could certainly be viewed as the lows of ministry he endured, and that's the commendable character of the man made obvious. It's his patient endurance in the experiences of hardship. And next time we're back with our study, we're gonna look at this next section in dealing with hardship, it's the responses. We're gonna see that as volitional responses that we can learn to do as we work through our hardships. Let's bow and be dismissed in prayer if you would. Lord, I thank you today for an opportunity to be together with uh, this church to minister to each other, to love each other, to encourage one another, to enjoy one another's company and the fellowship that came from that is so rich. Something comes from you. Thank you for the blessings of the many, many who work in the many ministries who have blessed me, my, uh, my, my sons, my wife. Thank you for the sacrifice that that required. Thank you for... Uh, The many who've ministered and blessed the ones who sit here have encouraged them and and built them up and and equipped them to be uh, equipped for every good work. Thank you for the ministry of your word, which when we focus on it, gives us a clear understanding of what Christianity is supposed to look like so we don't have to worry about uh, the nonsense that comes across the airwaves sometimes or across the television but instead we, we see what it looks like to be a minister, we see what you think is great, we see what gets rewarded, we see that when we reach the eternal state and forever we get to enjoy your presence and all that you've created for us, we take that stuff with us and then we glorify you better because we went through it in the way that you wanted us to. So Father, whatever happens to be the pattern of our life up until now, if it's not conforming to what we just got through seeing or perhaps we have some bad habits we've picked up from work the workplace and we brought them right into the ministry, Lord, I pray that you'll reveal that to us. We might uh, confess that repent of it and then turn and do differently I pray to draw us again and again to abstaining sometimes so that we might know your will that we might get a handle on a sinful issue that we might be able to make a decision that we might have some uh, power to ministry or to know where it needs to go and that we would be about that that lost art in modern christianity that needs to be reinstated for real power to be there as well there's just so many things we could pray about but i trust that your holy spirit has been at work through the reading of your word and so you've already been doing that, and so I thank you for that. If you sit here today, though, and, and there's, you've got some questions, or uh, you know you need something, you need or something has to be done, and you want somebody to talk with you, we'd love to do that. You have a response card right there in the chair in front of you. It says, welcome guest. On the back, you can respond. Put your name on the front, on the back. Respond how the Lord has prompted you today. Write on the side if, if those things, what it is, it's not listed. Give that to me, if you would, before you go, or hand it to Grant at the welcome table and uh, we would be glad to get with you pray with you help you in whatever way we can minister to you it would be our joy to do that. Father we thank you again for the blessing of doing the things the church has done very simply uh, all through uh, the ages to come together and to pray putting ourselves before you in a humble position knowing that you are the giver of all things that you you are Your throne is in heaven and we desire your will to be done on earth and we make that clear by our prayers and by our our stance Lord as we come and given of what we have materially uh, as a recognition that you give us all things and we've given sacrificially and and generously and faithfully and Lord we've come and we've read your word openly as Jason did earlier we've prayed for men everywhere and men in leadership as Alex did earlier and we've worshipped you in in song and and exalted those things that are true about you and now exalted your word, which you have made equal to your own name. Lord, as we've done this now, I pray, we'll go out and be the types of ministers, the types of reconcilers, the types of ambassadors you'd have us to be by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, whom we long to see And all God's people said, amen.